Father, thank you this morning that your presence is here. Thank you, God, that you desire to do things in the hearts of men. Thank you, God, that we can't hide from you. I think that's so cool. I've hidden a few times, and you find me. Oh, you're really good at hide and seek. I love it. And God, I pray especially over us that when we feel that tendency to want to run, that you would remind us that you're for us, you're not against us. So God, I pray that you'd bless us as we look at the word, as we try to pick it apart a little bit. Would you help it enlarge our hearts and grow us just a tad this morning? Help us be more like you, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to start into a series called Established in the Word. And um, this morning, we're going to talk about the Word of God being God-breathed. Now, this is going to be an introductory, so I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. It's like, you ever picked up a handful of sand and threw it at something, and some of the sand hits it? That's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to pick up a whole handful of ideas about the Word of God. I'm going to throw them at you. It's an introduction. Somebody say it's an introduction. I'm going to introduce some ideas about the Word of God to you. Hopefully, it gives you a little bit of breath, a little bit of understanding of how God uses His Word to transform and change us. So that is kind of what I'm doing. Like, I think the Word of God is incredible. Like, I think it's extraordinary. And some of you in the room, this is no kind, you haven't discovered that yet. I want to help you discover that. See, when I was coming up as a believer, I was really fortunate. I got saved into a church that was really word-oriented. So reading your Bible was normal. Studying the scriptures was normal. And sitting with God for like devotional quiet times, I was taught that right when I got saved. So I had this like bounty, this richness of memorize the Bible. How many of you guys ever did memory verses? Man, we did memory verses. Like, you had a verse, and one week to the next, you had to memorize the verse. Some of you are like, you didn't make me memorize. No, I'm going to leave you between you and God. But if you hide his word in your heart, you will not sin against him. That's what the word does. And so I was taught these principles as a young believer, and, and I was thinking about it, and I thought, man, I want to tell this and teach this a little bit for my own journey, but a little bit so that it helps establish you and equip you and bless you. You know, if I drink a lot of water, my apologies, my voice is still recovering. It's better than it was last week, but it is not 100% yet, but it's coming along. So they say, man, that's good. Yeah, so uh, one of the things that's important to understand about the Word of God is that the book is spiritual. Yeah, like you can study it for history, you can study it for culture, you can study it for themes, but at the end of the day, if you don't study it spiritually, you won't understand this book. It was written by the Spirit of God to the spirit of man. And that's how you understand it. You don't understand it by arguing against it. You understand by surrendering to it, by inviting it to change you, by inviting it to transform you. So I want to give a little bit of technical data because some of you guys like nuggets. So if you have a pen, you want to scratch a couple notes. These are just the framework of scripture. The scriptures are a compilation, say compilation. That means many things put together into one. So there's 66 books in the Bible, say 66. 66. In the Old Testament, there are 39 books. Say 39. 39. Say 3 times 9 is 27. That's how many is in the New Testament. Pretty easy to remember, right? 66 books. 39 Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. The book was written all over the place. Let me say that. It was written over about an 1800 to 2000 year span of time, depending on which scholar you talk to. There's multiple writers. Some wrote multiple books. Some did not. Some wrote single works. So you see kind of a mixture of everything. Some of the work is historic. Some of the work is prophetic. Some of the work is poetic. Some of the work is instructional. Some of it's correctional. It's kind of got a mixture of everything in it. 
Now listen, for those of you who like some of the wacky like movies and TV shows and stuff, the Bible is so honest, it tells you all the murder stories. Yeah? Tells you all the adultery. Don't necessarily like that part. Tells you all the ugly in people's lives. And then watch. And then communicates a message of redemption from the beginning to the end of it. That's what makes it so, so powerful. It's written in three different languages. It's Hebrew, it's Greek, and it's Aramaic. It was written on three continents. You're like, it was? Africa, Asia, and Europe, three continents. There's lots of pieces to this book, and the span of time is large. Now listen, we couldn't get all of us in the room to agree on anything. If I started with Scott, and I said, Scott, there's a red car in the parking lot with, with the license plate ending in six, and its lights are on. By the time we get back there to Nanette, it would be a blue car, it might be a van, and it's getting broken into. <laughs> we cannot, how did they keep the story the same over that period of time with that many people, with that many languages on that many continents, and it's one word answer, the Spirit wrote it. There's one author of the Bible, the Holy Spirit, one author. He used men to write it, but there's only one author. That is so important. See, you've got to foundationally, fundamentally, as a believer, understand that this, for you, is the book of life. I love something Greg Laurie says, Bible, basic instruction before leaving earth. I love that. You want to know how to do life? It's in this book. You want to know about marriage? It's in the book. You want to understand your husband, understand your wife, understand your kids? It's in the book. You want to understand the power of sin, how we have God complexes, how God wants us to be humble? It's in the what? It's all in the book. You want the story of God's love and his redemption? It's in the book. See, and I was taught that early on. I was taught don't ever stray from the reading of the word of God. Always keep it in your heart. Always study it. Don't let it go away from you. It doesn't matter. Time, regions, languages, cultures, doesn't matter. This book is consistent because it has a single author. That's why. Really, really a powerful book. So I was just reading around, and when I do studies like this, I try to just capture things that might be a little out of the ordinary, and I happened to stumble across a, a man who decided to, to copy the Bible. He said, I'm gonna write it word for word. I'm gonna make a copy of the Bible, and he used nine by 13 paper and felt pens, and he wrote, watch, 788,000 words that are in the Bible, Took him 2,400 pages to do it. And how many years? Anybody want to try? Four years. And he did it approximately 10 to 12 hours a day. Wow. Okay, man, now watch, watch. You want to hear something more remarkable? Guy's not a believer. Wow. Not a believer. He actually had a Muslim buddy who said to him, you know, Islam, we copy the Quran. He thought, Maybe I'll try to copy the Bible. His Muslim friend said, it's too long. Take you too much time. And he thought, well, I'm going to try it anyways. But this is what he said about his experience. Just a couple thoughts from his experience. He said, I go to bed and I close my eyes and I feel incredibly serene. This is an unbeliever. You ever read the Bible before you go to bed and you kind of sleep pretty good? You know, the Bible declares that God will guard you even in your sleep. Like, we forget these things. Like, we just kind of go through, like, sometimes you need to turn it off, not ramp life up. You know, some of the worst things I can do is, is look at Facebook right before I go to bed. And I, I'm criminal. I do this all the time. I'll be laying in bed. I can't fall asleep. And I'll start looking at Facebook. And then I wake up. 
It's just not a productive. This guy said, when I study the scriptures, when I write the scriptures, it makes me feel incredibly serene. Then he says, every day as I write, I discover something new and it expands my mind more and more. You know that the Bible teaches that the Bible will make you smarter. Well, I love y'all. Some of y'all stupid. No, I'm playing. I'm playing. <laughs> totally playing. But if you want to get smarter, the beginning of wisdom is fear of God. God says you should study the scriptures. That's actually what God said to us. So it's smart. He goes on and he says this. He says, I, I, it expands me more and more. He says, not so I become a religious person, because this guy is not. That's what he says. So that I can become a more whole person. An unbeliever understands that the word of God makes him more. Why aren't we reading it more as believers? See, it's, it, my, my opinion, opinion is that the reason we don't is because we don't understand the power of it. We don't understand how it transforms us. We don't understand how it weaves into our hearts and, and makes us new. And that's a little of what I want to talk to you about. So Jesus, when he started to talk about the scriptures, he made a really profound statement. Now, how many of you guys remember Jesus went off to, he got baptized and he went off and fasted and prayed. Now he comes out of fasting and prayer. By the way, God led him into that, which is troubling because when he comes out, it says he gets tempted. You're like, temptation, God is testing, crazy stuff, but it really did happen and it really is in the Bible. But watch, this is what Jesus said, Matthew 4, 1 through 4. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So the Spirit led him to be tempted. I don't like that. You ever think like, listen, this is what I know about God. God never sets you up to fail. Never. It's against his principles. It violates his nature's character. When God is allowing testing or tempting, not, not tempting you himself, when he's allowing that in your life, what he's doing it for is to see where you've matured to. Now, Jesus, being the God man, he does pretty good. Watch, he does pretty good. How many of you guys want to do as well as Jesus? Now, mind you, you haven't eaten for 40 days. Anybody in the room fasted 40 days? How about 40 minutes? Okay, come on. You're like, Pastor, I'm already hungry. You ain't done yet. Look, I know. It takes discipline. 40 days. This is what he, it says, after he had fasted 40 days, 40 nights, he became hungry. I'd have been hungry the whole time. Just saying, I would have. It says, and the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Fasted 40 days. You have the power of the universe in your hands. Would you have made it a, a, a loaf of bread? In my case, multigrain. I like that stuff. You know, I'm saying with toast and a little butter, too. I'm just saying. Would you have done that if you fasted 40 days? Watch Jesus' response. This is super important. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but watch, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. See, listen, let me help you. You live by the words that proceed out of God's mouth that are compiled in this book. It's how you grow. It's how you live. It's how you know. And Jesus said that. You know, Jesus referenced the scriptures over and over and over. He cited the majority of the Old Testament in his own talks and speeches and dialogues that are recorded in the Gospels. Jesus himself referenced the Old Testament as the scriptures. He knew it was authoritative. He knew it was from the mouth of God. He's citing Deuteronomy 8 when he says that. Listen, if the Son of God thought it was important to quote the Scriptures, shouldn't we? Like, shouldn't we discover the value of using the Scriptures 
to keep us whole. Yes or no? Help me out, church. This is so important that we grow in this understanding of the book that we have, or whether you watch, like some of you are on your phones, some of you are on your computers. I personally don't like that stuff. I'm old school. I'm going to show you that at the end. I'm old school because I get distracted. You know, I get distracted. Like, you put the phone in my hand, I can be doing that devotional thing on the version app. I can be doing it. And then, you know, like Vic will say, hey, dude, you free for breakfast? And I'm like, Boop. heck yes. <laughs> you know? That, that's what happens. I get distracted. That's why I, I don't do my devotional time on my phone, because I get distracted. Not saying you shouldn't. saying I don't, because I get distracted easily. Like, I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced I'm an undiagnosed ADD guy. I can like squirrel. You know, I'm just that way. Some of you are the same way. So to stay focused, you maybe need to use the book instead of, I'm just suggesting, not saying that there's a right or a wrong way. You have to know yourself. Jesus quoted the scriptures, and he called them the word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That means it's important. Jesus looked into the scriptures for himself to live righteously. So we should too. That's the point I'm making with that. So let's go on. The Bible is a spiritual book. Listen, like I said, a handful of sand, I'm throwing it at you right now. Some of these might hit, some of them may not. But all of these are kind of principles. They're, they're truths that I'll build on probably in subsequent messages. This is just kind of, like I said, an introduction. The Bible's a powerful book. Like I said, people will read it as literature, history. They'll read it for other reasons. But the reality is you don't read the Bible. The Bible reads you. That's the truth. Like I sat in a religion class at Chafee, Maureen O'Neill, I remember her well. And we dialogued and debated. And, and she said, you know, Christianity is polytheistic. I went, er, hang on, because I was smart enough to know what that meant. The students did not. Father, Son, Spirit, that's three. I said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. I said, if you study the scriptures, you would understand that in the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Elohim. There's a plurality in the very beginning of how he speaks. There was a plurality in the oneness of his unity. And she's like, look at me. She's like, where have you studied? And I said, I studied my Bible. Who have you read? I said, Jesus. I'm being 100% serious. She was waiting for me to say Barnhouse or some other commentator. And she said, who have you read? I said, Jesus. Reggie, I'm giving you Jesus right now. Telling you what Jesus said right now. Jesus said one God. Jesus demonstrated the oneness that I'm speaking of. And, and so I understand that you as a religious teacher might be pro, pro, you know, projecting something else, but the Bible does not teach what you just said. That's your opinion of a book of truth. Look, some, some of you guys need to get bold, I'm just saying. You're like, I want an A, Pastor. I ain't fight with my teacher. I still got an A. It's okay. She gave me an A. I did. But, but listen, you've got to decide that you're going to look into the book and live for what it actually says. So this is what Paul said. He's writing to Timothy, a young pastor, and he's instructing him in how to be a pastor. And this is what Paul says to Timothy. Now, by the way, if you've not memorized this verse, this is a memory verse. So write this one down is what I'm saying to you. Put it in your phone. You got notes in your phone? Put it in your phone. Okay, you guys ready? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This is one you should memorize. All scripture, say all scripture, is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching. Keep going. For reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. 
So all scriptures God breathed. What does that mean? Like, I don't know if you guys have ever really thought about breathing. You're doing it right now, but maybe you've never really thought about it. You know that to, to breathe out, which this word, all scriptures inspired, literally means this. It means God breathed. It's, it's theonumos is the word, or theonumos. Theo is God, pneumos is wind or spirit. Like, how many of you guys use pneumatic tools, air tools? That's wind tools. That's what that means. You get pneumonia. That means your breathing is hindered because of fluid in your lungs. Pneuma is wind. It's inhibiting your wind. Paul said to Timothy, the Bible is the breath or the wind of God. So when you consider breathing, you know that you can't inhale unless you exhale. Just think about it a second. You can go, and you'll start to turn red because you're not exhaling. You cannot inhale unless you what? So if all scripture is God breathed, that means God exhaled to breathe his life into us. Listen, you should think of it like this. It's spiritual CPR. That's what it is. That's what the Bible is. It's spiritual CPR. Listen, you ever come on and say, who's ever had to do CPR on anybody? I unfortunately have had to do this before. Person did make it, that's kind of cool. But I've had to do it before. And it was scary. And this is what I thought. If I don't get this guy breathing, he's going to what? This is what I think about you all. If I don't get you breathing spiritually, you're going to what? All scripture is God breathed. God exhaled his life, poured it into our hearts, our spirits, our souls, our minds. I'm going to show you that too this morning. That God intended his word to make us vibrant, alive. He performed CPR on us spiritually in a very literal sense. So this idea that it's God breathed is a powerful thought. Like, I, I want you to just kind of, for a second, stop and just do this with me. Just humor me for a second. Take a deep breath in. Now exhale. Watch. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is cool. You know, you can't speak without breathing. You know that when your vocal cords make noise, it's because you're pushing wind through them. How do I know this? Because I had surgery on my vocal cords a few years ago. It was awful. I wouldn't recommend it for anybody. But I had lost my voice, and so they said, you need surgery, and I did it. It was awful. My wife loved it. I couldn't talk for two months. <laughs> She's like, I'm like pointing at stuff. Get me that. She's like, would you write it? I'm like, I don't want to just get me that. And I'm all annoyed, and she's laughing. It was terrible. She enjoyed it way too much. You cannot speak without breathing. Listen, even when God created us, he said that he breathed the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. God breathed. God performed the first breath that entered into the human person. Now, when I first became a Christian, I wasn't smart enough to understand what I just said to you. I, I just knew that somebody said, read it. That's what I knew. Today, I understand this, that when I read it, it is life and healing. It is wholeness. It's a correction of thought. It refreshes me, gives me peace, helps me to find joy. Am I telling the truth right now, church? For those of you who are, are word, people who, who study the word, devour the word, you know this. You go too many days without reading it, you start to feel a little anemic. 
start to feel like you haven't breathed in a few days. You get what I'm saying? It's super, super important that we actually use the Word of God to develop what God is doing with us. So who wrote this book? Holy Spirit wrote it. Prove it. I have people do this stuff to me all the time. Prove it. Well, you're using the Bible to prove the Bible. I'm like, yeah, you're right, I am. But this is also what I know. The book is alive. Not only is it given by God, written by God, but the book's actually got life in it. But this is what Peter says in regards to who wrote the book. He says, you know that first of all, <clears throat> this is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, for those of you scratching notes. Know first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. It's not your opinion. It's not your interpretation. No matter of Scripture is that. He said, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So listen, next time somebody tries to throw a rock at you, say, well, but you just follow the Bible, you can say, yes, I do. And you should do that unapologetically and courageously. Because this is what happens. They follow stuff, and they call it not their God, but it in fact is. And you actually surrender your life to God. See, when people say that you follow the Bible, and I dismiss that, I take pieces of it. It's a good moral book. What they're actually saying is I'm smarter than God. I don't know about you. I'm not smarter than God. I'm smarter than some of y'all, but I ain't smarter than God. I'm just saying, I'm not. So the Bible is important for all of us to understand that this book came from God. God wrote the scriptures through men, through men. He used mankind to communicate his message of redemption and love to each one of us sitting in the room, to the whole world, in fact. Now, we know that not everybody bows to that, but it doesn't change the fact that God loves everybody. Now, now if God did write this book, by the way, I'm taking you on my mental hopscotch. These are questions I asked when I was a young believer. How do you know God wrote the book? And people would show me. Is there actually power in the book? Like, how do you know? And th these are the questions that people would give me. So does God stand behind his word? God, listen, God places his word above his own name. Okay, now, for some of us as Americans, we don't totally understand the significance of that. Because in America, we name people based on a name that we like the way it sounds. Like my son is Michael, my wife liked the name Michael, worked for me because my middle name's Michael. I'm like, sure, we'll name him Michael. By the way, his name means one who is like God. So yeah, it works, I like it. You guys agree? I like it, I like the name. But we didn't pick it for the same reasons that they did in Hebraic or Jewish culture. We didn't pick it for the same reasons that they did. So when God makes a statement, that his, his word is above his name. This is what he says in Psalm 138. This is verses one through three. He says, I will give thanks with all of my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down toward your holy temple and I'll give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and truth. Watch, for you have magnified your word according to all your name. Some of your Bible translations will read, you've magnified your, your word above your name. So watch, here's the significance of that. Moses is being let out. How many of you guys remember Moses? Come on, party in the Red Sea. People of God are in captivity. God says, go get them, take them out. And he says, okay, now we got the people out here, God, but you know, they might ask who you are because every culture, every tribe, every people in those days had gods that they assigned themselves. Like Pharaoh for the Egyptians was the walking, living representation of God. He was God incarnate for them. 
So now I'm gonna take these people who've been captured for the last 400 plus years in Egyptian culture who might still think Pharaoh is God. So when I get them out here, who should I tell them you are? He says, I am. Moses like, I'm not down with that. Who should I tell them you are? Actually, this is more, way more profound than we understand. He said, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. Now, in the Hebrew, that's what this means, so that you guys all understand. that The way that it's written and the grammar with which it's written is broad. It's not like saying, hey, I am, like I'm here right now, I'm James. What he's saying is, I was literally with you through all of the seasons you've been through. I am with you in this current moment, and I will be with you wherever you go. Ooh, somebody should say amen to that, because that's good news. In other words, God will never leave you or forsake you. I think Jesus said that. Yeah, he did. Never leave you or forsake you. God is for you, and if he's for you, nothing can be against you. So God said, listen, when you go tell the people how for them I am, this is what I want you to tell. The all-becoming one is their God. And then he says this. Oh, and by the way, my words to them is more powerful than I'm always with you. That's a big deal. It's a bigger deal than we understand. That means that his word will stand true, stand the test, no matter what. Now watch, let me illustrate. How many of you have ever had those moments where you think, man, pff, I don't think God is with me anymore. I don't think he's for me. Don't think he likes me. I made some mistakes, went a little too far. <clears throat> you can make whatever story applies to your, but everybody has questions about God, right? What, what he's saying is this. He never will not be with you. But I don't feel like he's with you. But he said he will never not be with you, to use poor grammar. He'll always be with you. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. Yeah, I know, but I feel like he's really mad at me this time. Well, he hates sin because of the destruction that it causes in your life. But he doesn't hate you. He says he doesn't delight in the destruction of the wicked. He's not happy when people go to hell. It was never his purpose. He created hell for the devil and his angels, not for you and I. It's not what he created it for. See, see, we've got to come to this resolve that this, this word is higher than our opinion, our feeling, because God said, I am always there, and here's my word to prove it. This is higher than my own name. That was a big deal for me when I was coming up because I always thought like someone was against me. Got to be honest, struggle with that still a little to this day. Like people are against me. Someone tried to get me. I got anybody else feel that way? Okay, I'm the only sinner in the room. Sorry, I just, you know. But it is really important for us to understand. Listen, how important is this idea of name? Watch what God, the Holy Spirit, says through the Apostle Paul regarding Jesus, okay? Philippians 2, 9 through 11. He says, for this reason also, by the way, the context of this is Paul says to, to the Philippians, he says, Jesus came in a manner that was low. He took his estate as God and he lowered it, came as a man. That's the context. And he says this, he said, for this reason, because he took a low estate, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name which is above every name. Say, Jesus' name, come on, is above every other name. It's above every other name. And watch, this is what he goes on. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. That's everywhere, right? And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory of God the Father. Now, I love this because some people say, I'll never bow to Jesus. You will someday. 
You can come willingly or unwillingly, but at some point, everybody, every human person will stand before the living God and give account. And at that point, the Bible actually teaches that every single person will bow before him. You want to hear the scary part? Then judgment. So not like you won't bow. You might not bow on this earth, but you will bow every day. He said, but God said, I've given him a name above every name. So why, why watch. Let's connect these dots because this is like my technical mind. This is how it goes. Okay, God is everywhere. I am that I am. Oh, and his word is above his name. Oh, and his son is the highest name. Okay, I can count on this. That's where it goes for me. That's where, when, that's where listen, 32 years walking with Jesus, founded on that right there. I can count on it. I can take it to the bank. Man, I feel like I went too far this time. God, you know how many times I've said that? Every day since I got saved. <laughs> I was like, oh man, I went too far this time. God, I know it. And he says, I love you with an everlasting love. How can you love me? And I, I cursed against you the other day. God, I didn't like you so much. I'm mad at you for what you let happen. You did this, didn't you? And he said, I don't do bad stuff to people. What are you thinking? Yeah, that's what I mean. He corrects, changes thought. But we get in the whirlwind of our emotions of our feeling. Am I talking to anybody right now? I know I am. You know how I unravel those things? I take every thought captive to the Lordship of Christ. Now, can I be honest with you? Sometimes it takes a week or two to get that thought. It's fast. It's running from like, get back here. Got to stop you. You guys know I'm telling the truth. Sometimes it takes some real pressing in to capture the thought. But when you do, you get victory, don't you? When you do, it comes underneath the authority and the power of the name of Jesus. Really does. Now, some of you go, man, that's too like, I don't get that. Watch, this is how it goes. This is as, as basic an illustration as I can give. Man, God, you're against me, aren't you? No, I'm not against you. How do I know? Because I said so. Okay, how do I agree with that, God? Because I feel like you're against me. And you stop and you go, okay, God, can you help me understand truth? What you really say about me? And then watch, if you shut up and listen, you'll hear a different story than the lie. I promise you. When you seek him, he'll speak. When you ask him for clarity, he'll give it. Now, I got to be honest with you. You can't go into clarity, like looking for clarity with God, doing the, well, heck no, God. You, you can't go attitudinal. I'm just telling you the truth. He'll take the attitudes. Like, my kids give me attitudes. I whoop their bottoms, and then I love them still. But when they come asking and seeking, it's a whole different thing. When they come humbly, whole different thing. When we come humbly, whole different things. This makes sense, church? We've got to go to God and ask him to unravel the bad thoughts. Okay, another, like I said, handful of sand, I'm throwing it at you. God's word is eternal. Okay, you're like eternal, like did it exist before he spoke it? In a sense, yes. God is timeless. See, the, one of the difficulties about the idea of eternal there is nothing that we can look at in this current universe, tangible, physical, that we can understand that is eternal. Anytime I explain eternity, this is my favorite explanation of eternity, because it's to me the best illustration. Like I said, I'm a technical mind, I'm a math mind, so watch. If I go half the distance to Tommy, and half the distance to Tommy, and half the distance to Tommy, and I do that forever, technically I will never get to Tommy. I will always be half the distance from Tommy. Even if it's ever so slight, I will never actually get there. But there's no way for you to actually conceive eternity. 
It is a spiritual concept. But God's word is eternal. He spoke it before the foundations of the world. It was in his heart. It flows out of his actual being. It's not like God went, hmm, I think I'll tell him I'll love him today. It is who he is. He can't not love you. God is love. It's actually who God is. It flows out of who he actually is. So his word's eternal. In other words, he's eternal. His word was always with him. See, so you, so you got to think like this. The word of God is timeless. Now listen, this is so important. It doesn't shift with culture. It doesn't shift with technology. It doesn't shift with the morality of our day. It does not what? Shift. It's timeless and it's unchanging. So when I hear people say this and trust you guys, I talk to so many people, so many. Some of them Christians, some of them not, and they'll say stuff like, that's old. You guys used to do it that way, but my generation, we don't do it that way. And this is kind of what I think. Stupid. No, I'm playing. Because <laughs> I used to think the same thing. Somebody had to convince me the truth was truth. But listen, it doesn't change. If, if God says that, that drunkenness was bad back then, or immorality, sexuality, pornography, adultery, you know, whatever, you make the list of sins, bitterness, all of it, doesn't matter what the sin is, it does not shift because the culture has. His word is eternal, it's timeless, it's unchanging. Does this make sense, church? Watch, this is what God says in Isaiah 40. He says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Never, ever, ever changes. Peter's citing that same verse in 1 Peter 1.25. He says, but the word of the Lord, it endures forever. I think that that's kind of funny. He changes the word. I think that the word of God puts up with us. It endures us. <laughs> Being a little funny, but not really. And this is the word which we preach to you. In other words, it doesn't change. The, the principles of God don't what? They don't change. And the book is valuable. It's important for you. So the word of God, this is the next throwing the sand at you. The, the word of God is alive. Now listen, this one, in my opinion, is the most powerful truth I'm going to share with you today. My opinion, my personal opinion. Now all of those, maybe somebody else go, no, I think eternal is better. You can have whatever opinion you want. This is Pastor James's opinion. This particular thing I'm going to share with you is the most powerful part of God's word. The book of Hebrews it reads like this, 4.12, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and it's active, sharper than any two-edged sword. <clears throat> it pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So this is what I just said to you. That was a lot of words to say this to you. The word of God is living, zoe in the Greek, which is not just that it's alive, but it's vibrant. How many of you guys ever gotten into the word like you're seeking direction, like, God, I need you to talk to me, and you open up your Bible, and you're like, whoa, like, thanks. That's called the word of God being living. How many of you ever tried to do something that you knew you might be bending the rules a little? Ugh going to bend the rules just a little. Then you open up the Bible and Jesus says like, no, don't bend the rules. Like for me, the one that happens the most often, just, you know, me being open or honest with you, like I get mad at somebody and go, well, they got to come to me. <laughs> then I read something like this. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Well, I ain't mad. 
You guys know I'm telling the truth right now. Their issue. I got no issue at all. Jesus says, leave your sacrifice at the altar. I said, I'm going to church. Heck no, I'm still going. It just comes right in your face, and it gives you the right way to handle stuff. And it leaves you to wrestling with the Spirit of God who wants to talk to you, wants to lead you and love you, wants to help you restore and reconcile. Watch, just like Jesus did with you. It's living. It's Zoe. It's, it's vibrant. It's not just a book. It's a spiritual book written to our spirits. It changes us. The book changes us. I love this about the Bible, by the way. When people say, why are you a Christian? I'm like, I've read other spiritual books. Them folks are wacky. There's pieces. Some things are good. Some things are true. Lots of peace. Most all of them point back to the person, the self, instead of pointing to God, who's the changer of self. That's, what I, that's why I stayed a Christian. He kept proving that he wasn't fake or false or, or distant or, or powerless or, or incapable of reaching. That's why I stayed a Christian. Look, man, I wish you guys could meet some of the people when I first got saved. Oh, my gosh. I questioned everybody about everything. I questioned everybody. And I would tell them, man, you don't get it. Like, there were times I'd talk to people. I'm like, that person don't know. They're just giving me, they're just giving me an answer that somebody else told them. They don't actually know. I remember thinking that. You know, the, the truth is, a lot of them did know. I was just too arrogant to listen to them. That's the truth. But I discovered this, that if I would sit with God, that he would talk to me. And he would talk to me through his word because it's alive. It's breath. Remember, it's God breathe. He's talking to me. It says it's, it's living and it's active. How many of you guys have a job? Oh, come on, there are more of you in the room with a job. Come on, humor me for a second. I'm like, I'm going to send you all to the unemployment office. I don't know what. But you have a job. That active word is literally the word that means to work, to be energized. So the word of God is living, it's vibrant, and it's energized. In other words, it has the ability to do work in us. What kind of work does it do? It does God's work. But watch this. It does work in the entirety of your being. So just like God is triune, man is triune. We're made up of spirit, we're made up of soul, and we're made up of body. Y'all understand this? I've taught you this before. I'm going to explain it to you. Some of you are like, I've never heard this before. Good, you're going to learn something this morning. Well, watch, well, watch, watch. I love this stuff because it helped me to understand who I am. It says that it's sharper, that it divides, watch, soul and spirit in the scripture. Your soul and your spirit are not the same thing. They're not. Your soul is comprised of your emotions, your will, your thinking. God wants, that's your soul. God wants to minister in those places. He wants to take authority over your thinking, authority over your actions, authority over your emotions. Am I telling anybody good news right now? Because some of you, your emotions are crazy. How do I know you sit with me sometimes? I'm like, you're crazy. I can't believe you think that. I'm playing. I don't actually think that. I, I, it's just making it funny. I, I actually treat it as something like they need to learn. They got to discover, just like I did. Because I didn't understand that all those things were wacky in me until somebody started to teach me. And I started to go after God, and they taught me how to go after God. Watch, just, just like I'm doing with you right now. Exact same thing, and people started to teach me. So it divides soul and spirit. It divides joints and marrow. Joints and marrow, listen, are your physical body. Am I telling the truth? Like my arm is on my body because I got a shoulder. If I didn't have a shoulder, my arm would be on the ground. That is called my joint. 
The marrow is the thing that keeps your bones alive. It's the center of your bone. That is your physical body. He, he divides soul, spirit, joints, and marrow, and then he gets all like inward, and he, he judges the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. Like he goes past all of it and says, if you'll read my word, I'll actually show you why you're motivated to do the things both good and bad. Now, now I don't know about you guys, but I kind of like this about God. He's in my quarter waiting to affirm what I feel and think or to correct what I feel and think. I, I love that about God because I have some crazy thoughts sometimes, y'all. I had a few days walking into church. I'm playing. Somebody's going to put that on the video, and they're going to be like, that pastor's nuts. I'm not nuts. I'm just making it funny again. Listen, we have crazy thoughts that sometimes God has to temper. He has to remind us what we're in it for. Now, most of you guys have that thought about your husband or wife. I'm just saying. Anyways, let's keep going. But it's alive. It's living. It's intended to get in the middle, to separate. And it's intended to minister to your entire being, your spirit, your soul, and your physical body. This is why I love, like, when we do altar ministry, people come up and they say, man, whew, I got a physical ailment and I got to believe God to touch me. And they get physically healed. I love it. Then I also have people come up and they go, man, I'm so, like, I'm inside out inside. Like, I, my whole life, I've had people against me. I've been abandoned. I've had stuff happen. People have been abused, all sorts of evil and sin. And then God ministers wholeness on them. And he reminds them that he never designed them to go through pain reminds them that he doesn't want them to live in pain, watch, or live out of pain. And they get some wholeness and they get some healing. And they start to change their lens of life from their own painful lens to the one that God puts on them so that they see clearly. And that is a powerful exchange. Would you all agree? For especially for those of you that have actually like, you could say, I remember when these pieces happened, you would say, man, it's like this. I once was lost and now I'm what? I'm found. It's that powerful. That's what his word does. It gets right in the middle of all of that stuff going on. So you've got to think like this. He's transforming your spirit, your soul, and your body. He's making everything new. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. He says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. Okay, so listen to me. His work will be performed in you when you exercise faith in his word. It listen, I don't mean to be like in or out, but this is important. Without faith, it is impossible. Say impossible. It is impossible to please God. Now listen, you might show up to God with just a little itty bitty bitty bitty, bitty faith, just barely. Like, God, I'm barely hanging on by a thread. That's enough. But you can't come in accusing him, telling him you don't believe, telling him he's all kinds of crazy, and then expect him to minister wholeness to you. I mean, listen, I know this about God. He loves us so much, he'll still work with that. But if you want to live in fullness, in richness, in freedom, in release, am I talking to anybody right now? Then you will decide this. I'm going to put faith in this guy who went to a cross 2,000 years ago, shed his blood for my sin, watch, conquered death. Muhammad's still in the grave. Buddha's still in the grave. Every other spiritual leader's still in the grave. You can't find Jesus' body. He's seated at the right hand of God. This is a different book. It's a spiritual book understood by spiritual people. You cannot analyze it intellectually. You will not come to faith. 
at some point you've got to say, I'm going to accept it as the word of God and believe. I'm going to exercise faith. And I, I remember the day. I do. Some of you remember your day when you said yes. Now, I know this. The day I said yes, there was so much changing that needed to happen. There were so many questions, so many things unanswered. And I started to find people who pointed me toward God, people who pointed me toward the scriptures. They started to set up a pattern for me to grow. And when I did it, I grew. I grew. I was blown away by it. Because the guy who I was and the guy who I was becoming were just like way different. Today, 30 years later, the guy who I was last week, the guy I'm becoming next week, are different. This side of heaven, I don't finish. Neither do you. But I'm grateful I'm not who I used to be. And I'm grateful that I'm becoming who I'm supposed to be. So we say amen. That's good news. That is part of the journey of faith. It doesn't all happen in one fell swoop. Okay, okay. so he said this, that, that, it, that his word performs in us work, the energy in us who believe. Okay, so I, I want to close with a couple thoughts. And, and then I'll send you home, which means I still got about five minutes. You guys cool with five minutes? You're like, I'm hungry, Pastor. Blame it on Steve. He led worship a long time. No, I'm playing. I, I worship was wonderful. Okay, the scriptures, like I said, they're a spiritual book. They're understood by spiritual people. You can study the Bible as literature, history, curiosity. It won't transform you. The transforming power is found in the spirit who wrote the book. You've got to surrender to God and his spirit as God. The fact that he's God means that you're saying he is more powerful than I am. That is, in fact, in part, the definition of God. That is what it actually means. So in Isaiah, this is what God says about his word when he sends it out. Isaiah 55, 11, he says, so, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. He's saying that it never will not accomplish. He says, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire. Important, what God desires, not always what we desire. Somebody say amen. It is what God desires. But what God desires is good for us. You should say amen to that too. And he says, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So when God sends his word out, he sends it out, and he doesn't expect it to come back unfulfilled. Now watch, he even gives a couple of clues of what they are. He says, for you'll go out with joy. That's one of the purposes. You'll be led forth in peace. That's one of the purposes. How many of you could use more joy or more peace? Hello, all of us in the room. The word of God is what does that. He says, the mountains and the hills will break forth in shouts of joy before you. And the trees in the field, they'll clap their hands. Listen, summary is this. You don't worship him, creation will. I love that song. You know, if I don't worship creation, why, why should I let the trees cry out? Or the rocks cry out? When I can, listen, some of us need to get that we're called to be worshipers. We're called to be people of the word. We're called to, to, to live that way. So... I want to close, and I actually want to illustrate something for you. And I'm going to do it old school, because I'm old school. I'm not that old. I'm pretty young, actually. Oh, that wasn't, come on. You guys are hurting my feelings right now. So I'm actually going to show you. That's a big Bible, isn't it? I'm going to show you old school style. This is what what life looked like for me when I got saved. By the way, you want to grow? That says put your rump in the seat and wait on God. 
I haven't said that in a lot of years, but that used to be a quote that I said almost every Sunday. You want to grow with God? Put your rump in the seat, like I'm doing right now. Wait on God. So old school, I had a study Bible. It was a big one. Big study Bible. Anybody else have a big study Bible? You guys see me? Should I stand up? You see me okay? Okay, so big study Bible. And I got saved, and I'm like, you know, Bible, I don't understand it. It's weird, the language. And somebody handed me a King James Version, which this one is, as a matter of fact. And it had these and thous, and it was very, very difficult to understand. And this is what somebody said. I want you to start reading the Gospel of John. I want you to get a study Bible. Study Bible. Some of you are like, I use you version. Use whatever you want. Don't care. I'm old school. Book. In my lap, black and white. I'm old school. You don't have to do it my way. I'm just telling you how I did it. And this is what they said to me. You need to read the Gospel of John with a study Bible. They said, you're going to need a pen, and you're going to need a highlighter, and you're going to need a notepad. And this is what you're going to do. You're going to read everything on the first page, including the notes. Because some of us are lazy. I just love you all, but we don't want to read the notes. But the notes are the information that put context to what you just read. So I open up and they said, don't go to the bottom or the top, just read it as it's on the page. So if I flip in my Bible, my study Bible, my big monster of a Bible, John gives an explanation. I'm sorry, you guys can't see that. Look at camera, zoom in, I'm playing, don't zoom in. I'm just, I'm teasing. But this is how it starts. I'm not gonna do the whole thing. The Apostle John is believed to have written this book about the year AD 90 in the city of Ephesus in Asia, John's name is never mentioned in the book, but it is assumed that he's referring to himself when he speaks of the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he learned against the bosom of Jesus, and then he cites a couple verses there. And he goes on to explain what I'm about to read. They said, you should do this every day. Page, two pages, maybe three. If you're getting all crazy and you're learning, do 10. Every day. How many days? Every day. How often? Every day. Because if I was going to give you some spiritual CPR, I wouldn't give you a breath today and then another one next Sunday. Y'all be dead. That's just the truth. But that is how the majority of us live in our journey of faith. We don't ever take a breath with God. But this is what they told me. Read that. And then I jumped down. And I'm going to teach this to you guys in a few weeks. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. Who's this Word? Well, when I read the notes, it's going to tell me he's referencing Jesus. But I know the first time I read some of this stuff, I'm like, this don't make no sense. <laughs> Pastor, I'm reading it. The Bible doesn't make sense to me. Get a study Bible. Start at the top. Come on, top of the what? Read the whole page. This is not rocket science. I love y'all. This is not rocket science. Read the whole page. Read the chapter. Get some clarity. Get some understanding. Watch. When something sticks out, take some notes. If you like writing in your Bible, by the way, I never have liked writing in my Bible. I don't highlight my Bible. I've never done it. Now, I actually took all the notes out of this Bible, but there were notes everywhere in it. From times that I had done my devotionals, and God started talking, and I wrote it on a note, and I stuck it there. Wrote it on this, and I, I kept it. I would highlight the note. What was, you know, and sometimes I would date it, and I would remind myself, what was God taught? What was I praying about that he's talking to me in this way? I don't remember. 
Listen, this is as practical as it gets, church. I can't be more practical than what I'm show, showing you right now. How did I grow up in faith? I sat down with the book. I read the chapter. I read the notes. Sometimes I did the cross-references too. because I would, And then as I started to get a little bit underneath me, like you start to understand it. Like it starts to make sense. Like you start to read the Gospel of John and you go, wait, there's another John in the Bible. First, second, and, and third John. Same guy. You're like, oh, that's kind of cool. So the same guy wrote, and, and then who wrote the book of Revelation? Well, that's John too. So he wrote five of the books. Okay, that's pretty cool. And you start to learn because I read the notes. The notes said, hey, when you go to first John, second John, third John, you're going to figure out same author. Oh, and he wrote the book of Revelation. I go, oh, that's so cool. And I started to learn. So then when I read, I started to learn. And then it'll start to talk to you. Like, you'll read about, you know, like some of you guys might recognize some of this language. You'll read about the Gnostics. You're like, the Gnostics? What's, what is it, the Gnostic? That's not language we use, is it? And he, how many of you in the room know what a Gnostic is? There's a handful of you. There's two or three, four of you, your Bible students. Gnostics were a cult of Jesus' day. They were the modern-day know-it-alls. Kind of like the house of, of never mind. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. That was terrible. I shouldn't have done that. You guys didn't even laugh. I'm sorry. They were the modern-day know-it-alls. And this is what they would say. They'd say stuff like this. Yeah, you can know about Jesus, but you don't have to follow everything he says. As long as you have the knowledge, you're okay. Because Gnostics is rooted in the word gnosis, which is our word knowledge. You just have to know. You don't have to do anything. Your body's a tomb. You can, like, do whatever. Have sex, do drugs, do whatever you want with your body. It's just a tomb. Once you die, your spirit will be released, and you'll be fine. That's Gnostic teaching. So then you start to learn when you're reading your Bible, that's some of the stuff he's talking about. You start to find out there's Judaizers, and you start to find out there's, there's Hellenistic Jews, and there's regular Jews, because you're just reading the notes, and the notes are explaining to you what all those are, and then you read your Bible, you're like, eh, I'm clueless no more. And then some of you, this is what will happen, listen, some of you will come to me after a while and start to figure out, I'd like to help other people figure this out, Pastor. You think I could teach a class? And that's when I fall over dead. <laughs> I'm like, hallelujah, I discipled somebody. But that is actually how it works. You start to get enough underneath you that you think, watch, I got enough of Jesus to give some away. Watch, all because, listen, all because you started to read the word. Man, I can't emphasize this enough, folks. I, I really can't. Can't emphasize the idea of sitting with God, of memory verse. I can't emphasize it enough. If you want to grow, you got to do a little bit of discipline you got to put your rump in the seat, get your Bible out. Listen, I promise you, you get a study Bible, if you want to use the internet, I'm not against it. I'm not a fan. Personally, I'm not a fan. But if that's how you study, some of you guys are really techy. You're like, Pastor, you don't know. I can do it. Do whatever you want. I'm telling you, when I sit alone, quiet, no banners coming across, oh, Vic wants to go to breakfast, Ishmael <laughs> wants to go to lunch, all my friends love food, who wants to go to dinner? I get all distracted. What goes on, honestly, I'm telling you the truth right now. That'll happen, and this is what goes on in my head. What do I got going today? Is Heather off? Can we figure it out? Maybe we can do dinner. That's what happens. And I went from God, you know, I want you to talk to me about how to be a better parent. Ooh, breakfast. I'm not playing. I am 100% serious right now. 
Oh, somebody just said you can put your phone on do not disturb and use the techie stuff. Then you can't get interrupted. That's good stuff. See, I'm not techie, that's why I don't know that stuff. I do know how to use technology for the record, but, but I'm just trying to encourage you guys. Like you need to do something that helps you grow in your faith. Sundays are beautiful. They're intended to do what we're doing this morning. Monday for you guys will come tomorrow, beautiful. Monday morning for the ladies, Monday night for the ladies, beautiful. Tuesday morning for the men, beautiful. Lots of opportunities for discipleship. Wednesday night, your, your God design. We have prayer meetings. We have healing rooms. All of these things, training classes coming away, all designed to help you grow. Now, I know y'all can't be at everything. You'd be one of those weirdos if you were not playing, but you can't be at everything. You got lives. Some of you folks are retired. You can be at everything. But you've got to choose to be, listen, at something. And then you've got to choose that your relationship with God is important enough to carve out a few minutes of time. Listen, I can tell you, you read one page like I just told you, just one page. Read one in the morning, one at night, one page. Notes in Scripture, you will grow. Now, I promise it because God promises that. I have hid your word in my heart. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through Psalm 119. It's beautiful. It just talks about the power of God's word. I want to encourage y'all. I hope none of you feel beat up at all. I hope you feel compelled like there's a God who's alive, who wrote the book, who's eternal, his word's eternal. He desires to get into my heart, to change me, to heal me, to conform me to his likeness. It's good. Somebody say amen. It is really, really good. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for you. And I hope that you walk out today going, okay, I'm going to give up today but I'll do this, I'll do it for a week. One week, I'll do it for one week. One, I can do anything for one week. Some of you are, I'm doing it one day. If you don't talk the first day, I ain't doing nothing. <laughs> give him a day, and I bet you he'll give you your life. I'm just telling you the truth. Actually, can I say it a little different? Can I say it with umph? Because I feel this from the Lord. If you give him a day, he will actually give you your life. He will. He said he will never leave. You insert yourself into him, he'll deposit himself in you. It's beautiful. I want to encourage you. Give him a day. He'll change your life. Okay, it took a lot of time. Let me pray for y'all. I want to pray that God just blesses you and releases a spirit of, of curiosity, of passion, of pursuit. So God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, God, that you gave us your word. Uh, man, it's maybe a greater treasure than anything any of us possess. God, I pray that it would become that way to us. God, I pray for those who are in the one-day mode. Man, you, you know, listen, we, we bring one, one little mite, and God says, I'll bless the mite. I'm good with that. God, I pray for those who want to give 10 mites. Whatever they invest, God, pray that you would meet them at that point of investment. God, I pray especially over those who walked in like, man, I'm about to throw in the towel. I'm giving up on this faith thing. God, I pray that you'd meet them right now this morning, that it wouldn't even take their energy to walk out of the room to seek out anything, that you would just say, I love you right now. That you'd confirm it in their heart, that you would rest on them and bring them peace, that you would affirm to them that you're God to them in this moment right now. And God, as we go out, I pray that we would go out with a plan, with an intent. Like, I'm going to get up and I'm going to spend one page, two pages, whatever. And I'm going to give that time to you and I'm going to listen, going to take a note, going to write a highlight. And God, I'm going to ask you to speak to me. 
But God, I pray that as we sit before you, we say, word of God, speak. God, that you would be really clear with us and you talk to us. God, I bless the people this morning, man. I bless them. Bless them with favor. I bless them with faith. I bless them with encouragement. I, I bless them with a fun afternoon. I bless them with a great lunch, I, with great fellowship, with great friends, with great family. I pray, God, that you would turn over things that are upside down, make them right side up. And God, turn their curiosity, their passion into intimacy and relationship with you. Bless them today. Bless them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, God bless you all. Have a wonderful Sunday. By the way, if you didn't get up here for prayer at the beginning, you can sneak on up. We'll be happy to still pray with you.